0: Episode 14 of Herpetological Highlights, this week, this bi-week, this fortnight, we're talking about crocodiles, and with specific reference to the Temistoma, which inspired this episode, Um, but we are talking about crocodiles in general, really. we picked out a couple of papers. Um, I'm Tom Major, and joining me, as always, he's not joining me, he's actually a co-host of the programme. I'm also nowhere near you. Yeah, he's also not... Yeah, you're not joining me. I'm going to stop talking about you like you're not here, but although you're not here, which is a point you're making. <laughs> yeah. You... With me in the podcast is Ben Marshall.
1: You said, uh, Tomistoma. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I know I, I did, keep... and I'll
1: tell you... All, all in my brain I've been reading it as Tommy Stomer. Tommy Stoma. Me too.
0: I did for weeks, and I was convinced I was right, and then I watched a YouTube video because I was fearful that I was mispronouncing it, and because... Well, we can do a correction right off the bat. We were mispronouncing, or we may have been mispronouncing, Kiterid last week.
1: Oh yeah, but last... the, the trick is we said it different ways at different points in the podcast. We did. So yeah, sometimes but, we said Kiterid,
0: but... sometimes we said Kitrid. Yeah, apparently it should be Kitrid according to Scott Iper.
1: Yes, and the other thing was that BD and Kitrid, Kytrid, Kitrid are not entirely interchangeable.
0: No, they're not. It's not that they're not entirely interchangeable, Ben. It's that they're in no way interchangeable.
1: Yes, I suppose. One is one thing
0: and one is the other thing. Yeah, Where, yeah. I kind of Go knew on. that in my head, but. I, I I think it was something I'd known in the past, but I'd sort of selectively erased. I don't know why. Uh, yeah, but the difference is BD is an abbreviation of. Batrachochytrium dendrobatidis. Nice. Uh, yeah, if that's right, probably get told it's not. And then chytrid is the nickname of the fungus chytridiomycosis, which is actually the fungus as it infects. Infects fungus as it grows on amphibians. Does its fungus thing. Chytrid, though. Yeah. 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 Yes. Um, so chytrid, that was BD, Mark.
1: different. Chytrid's chytrid, not chytrid.
0: Yes, and uh, Mark Schertz was the one who told us about the BD and Kitchard thing, and it was Scott Iper who told us we were mispronouncing it. I also very nearly mispronounced Scott's name. I had to go back to his Facebook message about how to <laughs> pronounce it properly. I was like, I know he said, get it wrong again.
1: This Jenga game of mispronunciation. Yeah, I love it, it is a bit of a
0: minefield. I think because so so few people on Earth are. English as a percentage of the world population we could just say that's how English people say it and there'd be very few people to contest us
1: (laughs) well and the other thing is I feel like most people read these things and don't say them out loud as frequently as they read them like the Thomas mm, Stoner thing I'm talking about that's probably only the third time I've ever said that out loud because I'm constantly reading it it but it just
0: means nothing yeah, well, that's. I, I re, either read or someone said to me once, like, you should never um, criticize someone for mispronouncing a word because it means they read it and they learned it by reading. And I was like, yeah, that's true. Well, that's yeah, weird.
1: but it's not. We're not. Criti- there's no criticism here. It's just no, trying to get people on the same shouldn't. page, so we know what each oh. other are saying,
0: right? <laughs> oh yeah, I'm not suggesting we've been criticised. Like I don't feel a, I don't feel hard done by or wounded by our by our corrections. I'm just saying, like in the future, if anyone ever does anything wrong, you got to remember they learnt it by reading. I thought that was a nice sentiment.
1: I learned most of the things by reading, and the
0: rest yeah, of them by making mistakes. Because you're a nerd. <laughs> which way hey, which road. way's the library, nerd? <laughs> <sighs> anyway should we get going on. then well yeah well our initial point about the Tamistava pronunciation I watched a YouTube video which I'm going to put in the show notes Yeah, multimedia. Uh, by multimedia by um, crocodiles of the world founder and uh, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that at length later on anyway okay but anyway yeah Anyway, from that, I learned that it's Temistema. God, let's not get bogged down anymore. (laughs) Let's move on. You're the one who brought it up, kind of. I didn't bog anyone down. What are you talking about? (laughs) So crocodiles are what we're discussing today, or crocodilians. Crocodiles, alligators, caimans. and gharials. Yeah, that's about it. Um, They are all archosaurs. Um, Archosaurs are a group which first evolved 250 million years ago. And it includes crocodiles, dinosaurs, birds, and their archosaurs are grouped by the most recent common ancestor of all of those crocodiles, dinosaurs, and birds. Um, so it's a big group. And archosaur means ruling lizard, which doesn't make sense because lizards aren't archosaurs.
1: But they do but... rule.
0: They do rule. Lizards <laughs> do rule. <laughs> yeah, there's something in that. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty
1: flipping badass group. How come you don't get archisol Archae I can't make. I don't know
0: because it's a clade, right? It's a description of a, a clade, a monophyletic clade. I think, or oh, could be wrong. Yeah, but um, so I don't know. It's not like a proper grouping. Uh, you know, it's not like a an order or a phylum. It's okay. It's just a.
1: It's an in between. Just a
0: name. Oh. Yeah, I might be getting that horrendously wrong. Anyway, um yeah. But we couldn't do we couldn't do a podcast on dinosaurs because there's another podcast which is about dinosaurs. That niche what is already filled. That, and I don't know um, anything
1: about dinosaurs.
0: Yeah, and they're extinct, which makes them you can't look at them and what about um, those ones that aren't
1: extinct? The birds. Yeah and
0: the crocodiles they're, yeah I was getting on to the birds birds <laughs> the trouble with birds is birds are lame no. so we don't want to study we don't want to talk about birds um, <laughs> outrageous I know you love birds Now birds are really cool um, but you know they're outside the scope of this auditory publication um, and crocodiles are what's left over in archosaurs so we've got 24 species of crocodile extant leftover on the earth after all their
1: comings and goings
0: yeah and all the so sort of, yeah exactly so that's what we're going to talk about the crocodiles
1: yeah remarkable they're still here
0: yes it is absolutely amazing 250 million years ago their last their common ancestor with birds was about and uh i mean they have changed a fair amount since then but it's just yeah so with all that should we get on to the first paper
1: yeah so uh this is by Stubing, Summerlad and witch maybe Stainwitch uh published in twenty fifteen in the International Zoological Yearbook uh Conservation of the Sudan Garel I'm gonna say Thomas Stoma Schlengali in Lake Mesengat, Indonesia. How how yeah. are you saying we're doing
0: t- thomistoma? Stoma? We're
1: doing to 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 What
0: Sh- Sh- Schlegel. I think Schlegel is a um, herpetologist because Schlegelai. other species are named after that. Well,
1: and it's a double eye, so person. it's called from
0: a name. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you get um, Bothriechis Schlegelai Schlegeli, which is the eyelash palm pit viper, among others. Everywhere. Awesome. So,
1: it's essentially a paper detailing the conservation and the conservation undergoings in uh, in this little bit of Indonesia. Because, hey, guess what? A little bit threatened over there, like like so many for um, And, like so many, it's primarily due to oil plantations.
0: Yes, oil palm plantations are doing them um, pretty bad wrong, really. Ironically, the whole reason the study site in this paper was discovered was because some a palm oil company was doing some ground truthing. And they came across a big population of, um, it wasn't just Themistomers, it was also... Uh,
1: simensis, crocodilus simensis, yeah. right?
0: Yeah, the Siamese crocodile. Yeah. 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 But um yeah, the reason we wanted to do this particular paper, we really wanted to talk about Temisina really, didn't we? That kind of was what inspired exactly initially we were going to exactly do That's exactly
1: what we wanted to do. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, we were going to do a whole episode on them, but then uh it kind of transpired that really there's not enough research to flesh out a whole episode.
1: Yeah, we are certainly um, not like super up to date stuff. That was because we tend we try to do stuff only post what 2013, 14, that sort of stuff.
0: Yeah, that's and right, that's
1: yeah. Not much recently.
0: No, it does not. Um, but yeah, this whole kind of episode was inspired because uh, I went home for a bit and I live, I'm i from High Wycombe, near London. And uh, me and my mum went to Crocodiles of the World for a day out. It's just near Oxford. It's in Bryce Norton, which is um, famous having an airbase. doesn't really matter. But yeah, they've got this amazing... <laughs> yeah, so airbase, air this... when, when was it last
1: operational?
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, more about the airbase, please. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Anyway, this place called Crocodiles of the World, run by a guy called Sean Foggett. And basically, he's a crocodile enthusiast who turned conservationist. And they have a massive collection of loads of crocodiles, crocodilians, um, all kinds of crocodilians. And they do a lot of captive breeding. And when I was there, I walked up a ramp and I looked over a ledge into this pool. And down below was this crazy, crazy crocodilian I'd never seen anything like it. I couldn't believe it. I'd never heard of it. And uh, I stared at it for a while. And then I read the in- this sort of information panel, which was generously provided nearby. And as it turns out, it was a Tomistoma Uh The Tomistoma from, um, well, it turns out they're from Indonesia and Malaysia mm. uh, and Borneo, although they're, they are extinct in parts of Borneo, I think. Um, they're also found in Brunei, which is the little standalone country tucked inside Malaysian Borneo. Uh, and they used to be in Thailand, but they're extinct. But yeah, these creatures are incredible. They're massive, first off. They can get to up to five meters long. The ones that crocodiles of the world aren't as big as that, but they are impressively big. And they are uh, they look like a gharial in that they've got that really long, thin yeah. snout.
1: gharial on steroids, and right?
0: Yeah, That's exactly. That's like his... darker
1: coloration, if
0: I'm... Yeah, and uh, from what I... I, the males don't have the same kind of dramatic protuberance on the end of the nose. Yes. Um, but yeah, they're not—they're not like you know crocodiles. You just think, oh, they're brown or they're green. But these things have got like uh kind of dappled striping all down the backs mm-hmm. and even on the face, and they just have a really dramatic appearance. They look incredible. So I was really excited, and I thought, well, yeah, I'm going to try and read up as much as I can about those things, and uh, yeah, we'll talk about it on the on the podcast. So here we are. Yeah, absolutely stunning. Yeah, and the common names for the Temistema are the False Gharial or the Malay gharial. Uh I have to quickly point out the False Gharial is a name which I find deeply offensive. Yeah, I because... thought you
1: would. I was gonna. I was gonna just ask your opinion on that if you hadn't brought it up mm. yourself.
0: <laughs> No, yeah, you don't need to wait for me. I'll tell you how I think about names, and uh, that one is. Come on, carry on. Distinctly lacking in imagination, creativity, and respect. I think for this majestic beast, because it's not a false garial; it's its own thing. If anything, the garial is a false tomistoma. It's a baby tamistoma, It's a less cool, less less hardcore fishy, fishy baby tamistoma, Where the tamistoma is the original garial. So I want that put in the books all that written down recorded
1: (laughs) well you know it's recorded now your your views are on record yeah gharial lovers everywhere beware
0: (laughs) gharials are really cool and actually i was lucky enough to see a wild gharial or a few wild gharials when i went to nepal and uh yeah i'm only joking they are incredible in their own right but uh not as cool as not as cool as tamisina
1: so, so so so, the paper. One of the reasons there have not been as much research done on these guys is because they are not threatened by the leather industry as a lot of other crocodile uh, species are. So all that stuff where you've got people coming in, well funded with you know traffic reports and digging about in populations to see if there's uh, poaching and uh, you know pressure being put on these populations through uh, the skin trade hasn't happened with these guys um, basically because of these these osteoderms on the uh, ventral scales that basically renders the skin far less valuable than uh, other crocodiles so nature sort of dealt them a lucky hand in terms of being mm. exploited which is kind of neat yeah
0: <clears throat> it is nice um yeah the osteoderms definitely work in their favor uh, but to be honest, by the sounds of it, they also live in places which are a real pain to get to.
1: Yes, another another lucky break. If you're going to live in places where these guys are, so we talked about the oil palms coming in. One of the problems was the places they want to put these oil palm plantations are heavily flooded and pretty sort of scrubby, not great uh, habitat for it. So the whole operation involves a lot of drainage and fertilizer and just general work and money and effort to convert it to something that you could actually have a decent oil plantation on. Oil palm plantation, sorry. So in that sense, yeah. Another mm. lucky break. Live in tough to access yeah. areas that are, you know, low value for certain types of agriculture. Gives you a little bit Yeah, of they, they,
0: they tried twice, didn't they? They tried to grow oil all palm. They planted mm. them twice in this 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 study takes place in East Kalimantan in Indonesia, um, in an area called Masangat Kenahan Sahui Wetland, which, like you said, it was originally kind of pristine wetland, but then it got earmarked for palm oil um, and... But it turned out it was really hard to grow palm oil there for the reasons you just said. Mm. So in the end the company were kind of just like, "Ah, oh, fine, we'll do some conservation. <laughs> um, fine,
1: we'll do a bit of greenwashing if you really, <laughs> really can't grow any palm here. Which they yeah. are still trying and, to do. It sounded like it's an ongoing process that sort of rears its head every uh sort of several years. Drawn as a like a yeah. a new but you know, top committee member or something that gets pulled out again.
0: But Yeah. But they, this, it's also an area where they've got loads of problems with invasive species. They've got loads of water hyacinth yes. taking over and uh, another plant that's giving loads of cover. Have you, have you got that written down? I can't remember which I plant it was. I do not have
1: the specifics, no, but I presume this is all but, just coming from the constant disturbance of people trying to plant oil palm and the whole turnover of the landscape. And, I mean, that's usually when invasive yeah. species get their little foothold is uh, yeah. yeah, having that edge over native species on uh, on the rebound. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but, but but by the sounds of it what's kind of happened from all this um, interference is actually they've inadvertently maintained quite a good habitat for these um crocodilians hmm. because both the temistoma and the um siamensis the siamese crocodile which is both of which actually are pretty much extinct from Thailand aren't they so they are threatened severely in other parts of their I have, range I
1: have seen godilla siamensis in Thailand though
0: yeah so have i but the it's only one crocodile
1: <laughs> <with> cow- <cow-ye. laughs>
0: yeah, it's, yeah that's some <laughs> some rogue just let go one of the ranges or something wasn't it
1: yeah that's well no one no one's prepared to confirm how that crocodile got there and, uh, it's definitely the only one there i kind of suspect that it's not even real and it's just a like a taxidermy one that they put out for the tourists
0: yeah it didn't i didn't move see any <laughs> No, I didn't either. Uh, Do you know what? It's actually not a. It's actually a common misconception that they're extinct, except for that one in Thailand. It's actually a case that that one just maintains the largest range of any crocodilian. (laughs) He's fiercely
1: territorial.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Hang on a minute! Someone coming over the border from
1: Malaysia. I've got to get down there. (laughs) Got to get down there fast. Stop that minibus.
0: (laughs) <laughs> but yeah um, yeah but it, essentially the water hyacinth and the other invasive plants kind of form a mat across the water which as it turns out is seemingly really good for these temistema they like they're really sneaky they like hiding under the under, mm. uh, hiding in the undergrowth in the water and you know classically all crocodilians pretty much I can't think of an exception although I'm sure some will correct me are kind of water's edge predators um, yeah I don't think uh, we have
1: any sort of like central desert crocodilians do we or any no, other boring
0: no, not... crocodiles. <laughs> no, or amazing. subterranean. Imagine no. an underground one.
1: Well, they might be. They might just be very
0: deep. We just haven't gone deep enough yet. Mm, yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, that's very... <laughs> But yeah. But yeah, so the Timistoma in this area is doing seemingly well. They think they've. They thought. Essentially, the IUCN thought that the Timistoma was endangered from the 1980s until relatively recently. Um, there was a couple that were data deficient, but as it turns out, there's now they've got more reliable population estimates. It turns out there could be a lot more than they previously thought. Um, and although changing, uh, well, it's good news and it's not good news because on the one hand, yeah, there's more of them than we thought, but equally removing something from endangered to not endangered, uh, people get the impression that something's been done to help it, when in actual fact, all they've done is found out there's more. So mm. the slow, steady decline is going to continue unabated. It's just a case of there's more to kill now before we need to worry as much as we were worrying before and we thought that more had been killed.
1: <laughs> yes, in that sense, no improvement. But in the sense yeah. of just having more information about them, that's a massive improvement. And the more information, yeah. the better work we can do to help them out. And certainly, like, you know, IUCN stuff, with all its problems aside you need to know this stuff because you need to prioritize if in a world of unlimited resources you just save everything but that bit of time that these guys buy us might be critical to saving something else that's further down the list yeah so it's it, it is swings and roundabouts
0: absolutely yeah um so an interesting fact about these temistema like we said they've got the thin snout um people from bahasa Local people from Bahasa call them Boya Supit, which means chopstick crocodile, hmm. which is quite cool. I've got yeah, an interesting I... thing about snouts. If <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> there's,
1: there's a cool <laughs> there's a cool paper uh, by uh, Milanko Milankovic et al in 2013, and it's the paper that talks about how the scales develop on the crocodile's head and that it isn't the same as as snakes and reptiles and stuff. And it all comes about from cracking. The sort of skin has a keratin hardening, and as it's expanding, it cracks. And that's why they are seemingly random, but defined by some sort of scotastic uh, pattern. So they're sort of semi-predictable, or at least there's an underlying mechanism there, but are actually kind of random. And... uh, that's completely different that's from from all your other you know reptiles the, the yeah because with scales. snake
0: yeah with snakes and certainly you can you know you can use scales as reliable characters for ID, yes. IDing species they're kind of re- re- relatively consistent obviously natural variation exists especially across ranges but you can be pretty sure if there's I don't know three conjoined supraocular scales then it's X species, and if there's not, then it's Y or whatever.
1: Yeah, and there's certainly a degree of variation that you can that you can work with with snakes to separate species. I mean, that's that's what a lot of species are defined on, or certainly ID'd mm. in the field on. If
0: you yeah. don't go grabbing yeah. a
1: crocodile and starting counting its head scales because it ain't gonna help.
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so these tommista, they I, they eat all sorts of stuff. We should have mentioned this um, with their snouts. fish. Yeah, because with a snout like that, your first thought would be. Well, it only eats it only eats eels. Or things that Hours are very it...
1: far
0: away from it. Or mm, perhaps yeah, some sort small... of noodle. <laughs> yes. That would be my Yeah. Noodles. Maybe that's why it's called the chopstick crocodile. Precisely. But No. They uh they actually eat fish, they eat mammals, they eat birds, and they eat crustaceans. They eat mammals, including monkeys. They've been known to eat crab eating macaques Good. and proboscis monkeys. Yeah, I know, the less macaques. The less macaques, the better, genuinely. <laughs> oh, but no, we're pr- kidding.
1: Macaques probosc- the have their place.
0: <laughs> yeah, the belly of a thymistema. No, so the proboscis, I don't know how you pronounce it, proboscis or proboscis monkeys? Proboscis, the, you know, I think, the word, isn't it? Proboscis. Because it's like yeah, proboscis, you know, this...
1: but isn't, because it's referring to a nose, not a creepy tongue that comes out of a bug.
0: Wow, cool, good knowledge. So That's what I'm going with. Yeah, there's an observation by uh, Galdakis in 1985 where a Tomistoma ate a uh, Proboscis monkey, which is an endemic species in Borneo, and it just got annihilated by this Tomistoma. It was savage. The, the, the observation was horrible. It like, described in really great detail how the crocodile like clasped the clasped the monkey one jaw on the side and one jaw on the front and it like dragged it underwater the monkey's screams could be heard and you're just like oh my goodness yeah, and then and then they see it they see the Temistema swim under the boat and the monkey's like trying to swim it's like ah help and then God, gone beast. yeah that yeah brutal. and then yeah I mean I've you know I've embellished that a little bit but not much and then <laughs> and then, you and then <laughs> yeah oh! yeah jaeger in 1981 1991 excuse me described proboscis monkey behavior during river crossings and essentially these proboscis monkeys they'll all club together before they cross a river they're really good swimmers but they'll meet up even with other social groups and they'll kind of all time their crossings they will jump in at once and they'll jump as far over the river as they can and swim in the minimal distance and they think it's They've evolved this as like an anti-predator strategy, so they go as a big gang, and they reduce their chances of getting eaten by these to Yeah,
1: safety in numbers, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, it seems common sense to us, but we're not monkeys. Monkeys, Monkeys—they've done well to work that. We are
1: pretty much monkeys, aren't
0: we? We're apes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, they're basically just posh monkeys, aren't
0: they? Yeah, we're a little bit further down the old lineage, I guess. Yeah,
1: we're just just monkeys with ideas of grandeur.
0: Back on action. The tomta is classified as vulnerable by the IUCN. Um, yes, we mentioned that already, didn't yes, we? Yes, we did. It's it's no longer um, it's no longer endangered. But the biggest threat is palm oil. So have a look at the uh, ingredients on your food and try and avoid palm oil. It's really hard. And then realise
1: that it's nearly impossible. And
0: yeah, uh, a, yeah, try yeah, to go for
1: the most sustainable source you can. And realise that's also really difficult because you can't trust anything.
0: Yeah, you can't believe a word that people tell you in the supermarket. It's very tough, man. It's very tough. Yeah. But um, yeah, so this paper, in a way, the actual research that was being done, this isn't a write up of the research that was done. This no. is an explanation of this really cool field study site, which we talked a bit about missing at um, and how it's really diverse, accidental nature reserve. Despite having loads of invasive species, it's kind of turned out to be a bit of a haven for these uh, crocodilians. Mm. Um, Along
1: with other species, to be fair.
0: Yeah, there's some turtles, some, some
1: uh, threatened storks, uh, river turtle, and a couple of species of mammal that are all benefiting from the lack of destruction.
0: So yeah, um, and one of the authors of this paper is Agata uh and she is now doing a PhD into crocodilian acoustics. I'm not sure if it's the same study state, but definitely going to be more research from her. Uh, that's she's at Bristol University. That's
1: very good. Cool. Um,
0: yeah, yeah, it's really cool. So hopefully acoustics there'll be some more. And I get
1: that you don't consider being particularly noisy.
0: Yeah, well, I wouldn't be surprised if the fact that they're doing acoustics was born out of the fact that they had so much trouble finding them any other way. Because with acoustics, you can just mm. drop a thing in the water, can't you? And then leave it and uh, I record. Pr-
1: presume so. I mean, I I don't know if that was... A, maybe you can even do population off the basis of that.
0: Like what they do Quite with frogs possibly.
1: and birds and audio transects. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I don't know how it works, because I know you can do recu- remote acoustic monitoring of cetaceans, but I don't know anything about it. Oh, and the bats, yeah, of course. Mm. But I don't think you can get individuals. You can't You can't delineate individual bats. You can delineate which species they're from. Yeah, I don't so think you, we so have you the can t- do
1: a presence-absence thing, can't
0: you? Yeah, but you can't, like what you were suggesting with a population you estimate, don't do I don't think thing. you can do
1: mm. Yes.
0: Maybe you can. Maybe there's bat experts listening who proved that wrong. Yes. I actually okay. only asked... Each
1: bat has a, has a call, a different noise. It's like a fingerprint. <laughs> That'd be neat. I think that's unlikely. No,
0: can you imagine if every human had a unique fingerprint sound they made? We'd have no language and it'd be so confusing. How could that possibly be the case?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you make a good point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what... <laughs> Next one's like ah! <laughs> <laughs> they all kind uh, of understand each
1: other, and just fly around, yeah, no, constantly. <laughs> <laughs> staring dumbly
0: at each other. Yeah, they oh, no, have to no, do no, make
1: up a written language or something.
0: Yeah, they would. No. <laughs> yeah. Do so, it, um yeah. Essentially, that paper is just a vector for us to talk about gharials. Sorry, gharials, not gharials. um yes. as much as possible. Yes. Oh, yeah. One, one other thing I wanted to say about to they have the largest eggs of any living crocodilian. How big are we talking? Um, they're ten centimeters long, which actually isn't that big when you look at it. But they're also seven point five centimeters but wide, it's and big the babies, for an egg, To be honest. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like it's like a turkey egg i don't know but yeah the babies are 34 yeah, <laughs> you know a turkey egg What's that? <laughs> familiar scale so the babies are huge they're 34 centimeters long which is apparently really big for a crocodilian um yeah ordinarily they prefer undisturbed habitat which is why it's so cool they live in messengat they live in sort of peat swamp forests uh wetlands adjacent to peat swamp and heavily overgrown lakes and swampy, slow-flowing rivers. So they're kind of just like... They're swamp specialists, basically. They yeah. like it swampy. The, sw- the swampier, the better, really. Hmm. And... Yeah, like I said, there's that video I'm going to post up of Sean Foggett of Crocodiles of the World talking about the Temistema. And if you're in the area of Oxford... Um, 100% recommend a visit to go there. Really cool place.
1: Yeah, and it's worth mentioning that actually sort of captive efforts for these guys have been relatively recently. I mean, it, it was only in 2006 that uh, the first zoo in Europe successfully bred them, and, you know, from then on, it seems like places have had success upon success, and I think now, what were they saying? The European stud book has... Forty-three individuals at ten different European facilities that are, you know, suitable for further breeding. Which, in terms of starting to build your captive population and build a sort of um, uh, backup plan to to wild populations, that seems pretty pretty fantastic.
0: They were the first in the UK to breed to Mr. Actually, the um... oh really? There you go. So they're one of the ten. Yeah, and it was this year, I think.
1: Oh, so they're not including in the tent, so there's probably eleven European facilities now then. Yeah.
0: But did you see as well in that in one of the papers it said I read another paper and it said there's only like something like forty tamistoma in the in captivity in the whole of the United States.
1: That makes a change. <laughs> Usually there's yeah. more things in captivity in the States than around the wild, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at least with something like the tamistoma, you can be kind of relatively sure that if you have them they're the same as what they should be. They're not going to be hopefully crossbred too much. Not like, you know, all the tigers in American oh, gar- gardens in Texas are worthless conservation wise.
1: Give them a few years. They'll cross them with regular Gariums.
0: That would be an abomination. <laughs> 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 what would they call them? False. No, they'd have to call them like. Tariums. Actual Tarils. Yeah. Um yeah so that's that the termistema yeah uh should we go on to paper two which i thought was paper one but you uh changed the changed the order of last second yeah well that's what i like
1: to do i like to keep you on your toes don't i
0: yeah i like it too because it means that all the stuff in my notes which refers to the previous paper is mute
1: <laughs> oh i'm sorry man <laughs> don't mean to be difficult
0: do no, i'm just being horrible Yeah, you just want want everyone to think you're the cool presenter with all the the facts. (laughs) (laughs) undermine your workflow. Uh, Okay, so paper two is Brienne, Lang, Webb, Stevenson and Christian, 2013, The Good, the Bad and the Ugly, Agonistic Behaviour in Juvenile Crocodilians, published in PLOS One. Um, And so it's open source, you can go and read it yourself. I
1: had the biggest trouble with this title, um, because I kept reading it as um, agnostic. (laughs) <laughs> just had these, these crocodiles that were having sort of philosophical dilemmas. I <laughs> just don't know, guys. Oh, God. They're just,
0: they, yeah. I'm young, no. I'm
1: scaly, but my scales are not real scales in my face, and I just don't know where I belong in this. <laughs> just haven't made my mind up.
0: Thank goodness that wasn't the case, because I mean, yeah, that's that. I mean, how do you go about conserving an agnostic species?
1: <laughs> do they even want to be conserved? They don't know. No.
0: Yeah, I think mean, you know they're questioning their own. You know, they're having an existential crisis first thing every day. So, wh- where do you go? Where do you go from there? Uh,
1: but thankfully, that was not the case. Basically, yeah. this is an investigation into the early reptilian lives of various crocodilian species i think uh was it seven in total yeah seven in total because yeah. you know just so little is known about early stage you know non-mammalian non-bird life is is yeah there's a lot of and catching up
0: to be done yeah but and also it's really not much is known about crocodilian behavior in general yeah um and I think it's probably a little bit more realistic to control uh, juveniles um, and kind of use their behavior as something of a proxy for the adults' behaviors, which I think they do a little bit in this paper. Yes, no, they actually that
1: sort of, sort of inferences based on other sort of uh, yeah, anecdotal cause, observations. Yeah,
0: because yeah, while, you know, you've got one of the species here is Crocodilus porosus, the saltwater crocodile, which... You know, they get to be 20 feet long. If you want to do an experiment and put two males and two female crocodile adults, which are that big, in a small enclosure together to see what kind of social interactions they have, there's a really good chance you're going to end up with, like, three of them being completely eviscerated.
1: Yeah, and and maybe one of your, you know, lab techs is gone too.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we don't want to cast dispersions on crocodiles. They're generally, well meaning... Amenable, peaceful characters, but yeah. But you in a lab,
1: you know. You should, if you were to shove me in a lab situation, I wouldn't be best pleased. Especially if yeah, it was to specifically I'm... study how well I got on with other <laughs> 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 others. You know, that's that's a recipe for getting bitten.
0: Yeah. Ironically, though, that's a process we have to go through when interviewing for a job.
1: Yeah. Look how well that Good. goes.
0: Yeah. Group interview horrible so um yeah agonistic behavior is kind of behavior which involves some kind of combat or aggression it doesn't have to be physical it can be posturing yes um, and in this study they were trying to work out whether or not young crocodilians either hatchling or juveniles demonstrated behavior which they were determined to be agonistic um what the behaviors were how often they did them how long and how intense the behaviors were and then they kind of go on to discuss the evolutionary significance mm. of what these behaviours... Like, why do they do this? And, um, yeah, they kind of explain them in the context of the niches they fill in the wild.
1: Yeah, so... And I also had access to seven <clears throat> seven species, um, a mix of hatchlings and juveniles, and they did the same experiment on both the hatchlings and juveniles and had some sort of level of comparison, but it was
0: hmm,
1: relative consistency among the two so i think we'll just treat it for the sake of brevity yeah uh just on a species level as opposed to digging into the hatchling and juvenile differences right
0: yeah yeah Sh- should we just quickly mention what the species are absolutely have you got a list in front of you i do yeah do you want to take it in turns i'll start you go and i'll go then you go all <laughs> right okay juveniles saltwater crocodiles crocodiles porosus.
1: Uh, we had freshwater crocodiles. Crocodilus johnstoni.
0: American alligators. Alligator mississippiensis.
1: We had New Guinea. Freshwater crocodiles. Crocodilus novae Guineae. Nova Guinea,
0: Yeah. Gerials. Gavialis gangeticus.
1: Siamese crocodiles. Crocodilus siamensis.
0: And finally, dwarf caimans. Paleocitrus palpibrosis. Palpibrosis.
1: Excellent. Yeah, so a rather nice selection.
0: Yeah, a very broad selection. I mean, seven species of 24 which exist on Earth. That's a pretty, pretty good sample. I mean, that's equivalent to getting about, I don't know, 850 snakes.
1: So how many families have we got there? We've got three different families of crocodile.
0: Yeah, yeah, because you've got the true crocodiles, you've got the gharial, which is in its own family, And then you've... Oh. Although didn't the Temistema recently get lumped with the aerial? Yes. And then you've got the alligators.
1: Yes. And the the, uh, dwarf caiman is in with the alligator there. Yes. That's right. Yeah. So they separated from all the other crocodilians, what was that, 85 to 90 million years ago? And then your garyl and your Temistema separated 55 to 60 million years ago. So these are... I mean that is a long time to be separated. <laughs> that's, a, that's a serious fam, uh,
0: family split there. It shows you how well they're doing with that body structure as well, because although, you know, what's changed? The thymistum has got a thin, oh, sorry, the gariel has got a thin face. That's it.
1: Yes, well, this is what, so, so there, was a, there was a paper they mentioned. Um, one of the things they said, a direct quote, several authors have argued that snout-shaping crocodilians is more closely related to ecological habit than you know, phy- phylogenetic origin. So, there's a, one of the papers they cited for that was a Brochu paper in 2001 that was looking at snout shape in space and you know, the phylogenetic relationship between the two. And I would recommend people go and have a look at that because if you just want to see how uh, the snout shape varies between and in between families very very nice clear diagrams I mean I can't vouch for any of the the phylogenetic stuff because I don't have the expertise but everything's very clear and simple and very nice and it does seem that there's been like diversifications in the separate families and it's not snout size is not a good predictor for how closely related things are you've got to be bringing in all sorts of other stuff because there's I well, I don't know if you can really call it plasticity over what fifty-five to sixty million years or more, but it is cool that there's enough pressure or dietary selection benefits to have these paralleled snout solutions in different uh, crocodilian families. Hmm. Well worth, well yeah, well worth looking at.
0: Cool. I'm pretty sure it's open access too. Oh, that's ideal. Yeah, because you, you could be forgiven for thinking they're all very much the same thing. They look the same. Well, yeah. They do the same stuff.
1: Yeah, if you were just going by head size, you'd shove the uh, freshwater crocs, the crocodiles with eugarials and stuff, because of quite similar head morphology. Well, certainly mm. at a glance. Yeah. I'm sure there are details when you start digging around that are different. Yeah.
0: But then uh, again, when you think about it critically, you just think, well if animals you know evolution in terms of things to do with feeding apparatus things can change really fast mm. like there's there's birds in the uk i think i can't remember which species species it is, but it's one or other small garden bird which their snouts have got thinner and longer because we keep feeding them from bird feeders and that's taken what i mean how long a bird feed has been in 100 years yeah so that kind of selective pressure can have an influence really fast. And
1: if you want a cane toad example.
0: No one wants a cane toad example. Cane can't. toads? <laughs>
1: not just cane toads, but cane toads, <laughs> things that eat cane toads are showing adaptive uh, changes just in 90 years of cane toads being in Australia.
0: I mean, that's astounding, really. Hey, but then again, you know what's also called about cane poisonous. toads?
1: And related to crocodiles? Saltwater so, well, crocodiles yeah. can eat them without severe ill effects. But the freshwater crocodiles, crocodilus johnsoni, cannot. But they seem to be smart enough to avoid them largely, though there have been some die-offs. But it's kind of neat. Where's that from? Where's that from? Um, off the top of my head, I do not know, but I will look it up and shove it in the show notes for people. Cool. Um, and the whole, yeah, the whole saltwater crocodile situation is very interesting because it might not be any sort of adaptation to dealing with toads or toad toxin, but more an adaptation to uh, dealing with saltwater and marine environments because the toxin acts on the same part of the cell that is involved in salt regulation. So they might have just got lucky there.
0: That's really interesting. How cool. Yeah. Um,
1: But a lot more stuff has to be done on those guys and the whole situation because right now, yeah, very sort of rudimentary.
0: Did you ever get any of your crocodile samples to work? No. Nah, it's a shame. Another another experiment. Uh I couldn't remember, sorry. So um Wait, what did they do in this paper?
1: Uh they shoved a bunch of crocodiles in a pen and see what they did.
0: <laughs> you yeah, basically, the prince, it? do you know what made me laugh as well? They said, they said that previous research had shown that putting crocodilians in new, small groups led to crocodile beef. <laughs> so that's what they did. Yeah, I mean, this is a,
1: yeah, this is ex- exactly it. They've, they've got something like 160 hours of observational data on 120 individuals, seven species, and observed a total of 462. You know, um, not agnostic. <laughs> Yeah. Agonistic
0: interactions between them. <laughs> um, they recorded them from four till eight. That's 4 p.m. till 8 a.m. So the afternoon and overnight um, for two consecutive nights, they were in these groups of four. They didn't record them during the morning or early afternoon because these guys were all crocodile experts and they knew that crocs chill at those times. So <laughs> yeah. there was no point. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And uh, they classified the agonistic encounters sort of allowed them to create a catalogue of behaviours so they were either getting really angry or they were just not you know they were slightly miffed there was a sign of a sliding scale Um, yeah an example of a relatively low intensity would be one crocodilian accidentally swims into another one when the other one was just chilling out and uh, the other one was like "Ah," you know posture and (laughs) you know wiggled a bit and didn't like it high would be one of the crocodiles has a look at one of the other crocodiles Thinks I'm going to get you, swims over and just goes in, like has a bite or something like yes. that. Um, interestingly, none of the um, agonistic behaviours happened on land.
1: Yeah, they were all in, time time always... in the water, weren't they? Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And specifically, funny.
1: they all were sitting when they all occurred. Almost every time they were low in the water, so sort of flat down most of the body below the water, not mm. you know up and out.
0: I think it's interesting because uh, from my perspective if you really wanted to have a rumble and you were a crocodile you'd do it on land because I don't know you just get a bit better purchase and you can sort of like chomp down and stuff um, but maybe I think but- that
1: I mean you've seen crocodiles run along land and they can move at a decent pace but those guys are built for water the strength they can get yeah. out of an aquatic environment I mean you're not going to worry about yeah. getting purchased you've got a tail that's like the length of your body.
0: Yeah, but I wonder if it's more to do with having an escape route.
1: Yeah, cause, Cause if they're on land and they, and they fought.
0: Yeah, it'd yeah. be like you know I'm gonna have to waddle away, waddle away while you chew on my tail. <laughs> Whereas in the water, it's just one pump and they're gone. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. So, um, yeah, they got they got the uh, crocs to do battle, which which they which they did uh <clears throat> so there was a kind of there was this there was this tendency that a lot of the behaviors they observed in the juveniles had also been witnessed in adult crocodiles before um yes suggesting that these agonistic encounters were good proxies for what adult crocodiles do and then they're kind of just practicing honing their skills and maybe. it's sort of
1: sort of hardwired into them too because they haven't been taught yeah. these they haven't sort of- learn them such, they're going straight off the bat they are doing something you know, exhibiting behaviour that is comparable to adults and adults during the breeding season as well that's what's sort of neat is that they're all sort of queuing up for something later in life, you'd presume, yeah
0: hmm, yeah so they did stuff like they'd puff out their bodies and open their mouths and that would show that they were a little bit pissed off um, they'd raise their head really high which would mean that they were submissive um that's quite common actually mm. The raising their body and opening their mouth is quite common in mammals birds and all sorts you know you just display your gape and your teeth and whatever it's quite an intimidating posture um but uh generally speaking the you know that posturing alone is enough to avoid physical combat because no no animal really wants to get involved in Physical battle because it's so dangerous.
1: Yes, it's high risk, and the reward could be the same as if you can just intimidate them off. So,
0: yeah, intimidation's gonna win out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I guess is there a territorial species? Yeah, I don't know. There's no really need to just constantly kill each other. It's not very practical. It's not really a good evolutionary strategy to just be a, like a murderer.
1: No, not really. Although some, some species do do that, don't they?
0: Yeah, yeah. Do. yeah. chimpanzees do. They plan it. Uh, they're terrible. Yeah, they draw little
1: maps out so there's no escape routes. Coordinate it. It's
0: crazy. They don't really draw maps, do they?
1: Well, I don't know. That, that documentary I saw, they had guns and horses and all sorts.
0: <laughs> no! <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, it's a film. It's a film.
0: Yeah. Um. There'll be loads of people who don't understand what you're talking about. I reckon from that.
1: No, I'm sure they'll
0: be fine. Yeah. Okay. Well, they do. If you don't know, get to know. So <laughs> the main forms of contact were head pushes and bites. Uh, obviously bites. That again, there's a scale like mouthing to grabbing on and you know going really hard and just actually. Biting and shaking, mm. um, yeah. But I think what's
1: really getting getting into what actual behaviours have been shown. The really interesting thing is the differences between the species, right? Yeah, because yeah, that's very We had the saltwater crocodiles are the biggest troublemakers by the, by the looks of it. They're the most likely to bite. They've got the most you know most instances of biting and this sort of proactive aggressive. Uh, chasing down behavior and yeah they seem they they seem to have a sort of nasty streak in them man.
0: yeah they did and conversely the um freshwater crocodiles were kind of chillers yes and those are they weren't really yeah they weren't really a big into the biting which the authors suggest was because they've got those elongated snouts and they're actually a lot more prone to injury because they're more delicate. Yeah. which makes perfect sense. They,
1: they they tended to do more push down, so it's like putting the head and part of the body on top of the other crocodile, and you yeah. know, pushing them down. Mm. And that seems a very very sensible uh, suggestion that it's all to do with how much how much of a beating the species can take, and how much of a risk you're going to uh, put yourself under, right?
0: yeah exactly if you if you yeah. damage
1: your snout especially for something that's going to be almost exclusively eating fish and stuff like that that's game over i
0: mean what, yeah that's it yeah. yeah it's interesting that they um you know you were saying the saltwater crocodiles were hyper aggressive compared to the others um they actually hang around in creches with the parents for uh a, a week up to two months um, mm. When after that time they disperse, and it's thought that the reason they disperse is because they go intolerant of each other. They can't <laughs> they hack get so it. They just moody. Yeah,
1: they just have to leave home. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. They just hate each other. <laughs> well,
1: and it just stays. It stays throughout their entire lives, doesn't it? Because they they were saying that they they don't have sort of big mating aggregations. They tend to just pair off in pairs and just do that. Just have lots of pairs, and there's not these sort of big groups that can be seen mm. uh, in other species. Because mm. we're also seeing that things like gharials have huge crashes, like multiple uh, clutches all coming together and forming a large crash that can stay for you know several months. And there was another one, uh, I forget which species was, well, so it was multiple years. I think it was the uh, freshwater crocodiles. Um, it's so a completely different life history, and completely yeah. different attitude, and it makes a, a lot of sense that there'd be comparable differences in the juvenile and hatchling behavior, because otherwise you just couldn't sustain that.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, all of these kind of intra-specific differences kind of... They're all relevant, aren't they, to the conservation of these animals? Because as you said earlier, crocodile breeding in captivity is a big thing, ex-situ. Um, you know, there's, there are lots of examples, the Madras Crocodile Bank, where crocodiles are bred in captivity and then head started and then released back into the world. And so findings like these are important because it goes to show, you know, you've got to keep crocodiles a certain way mm. um, in order for them to, you know, for them to be able to not only simply be amicable and not kill each other so they arrive at release but also there's a potential that they have certain kind of life skills almost that they need to hone and practice yes. as juveniles with other individuals uh, yeah, otherwise absolutely. when otherwise you'll end up with kind of an emotionally defunct crocodile that's either hyper aggressive or extremely passive or you know it's not behaving naturally yes. so they that's why this research is so important no
1: absolutely yeah well that is just downright fascinating isn't
0: it yeah i mean it is cool and it would have been really fun to do
1: dealing with little uh, young crocodiles are just adorable
0: Absolutely I think any thing. experiment which involves a thunderdome just goes up in my estimations <laughs>
1: if you're battling frogs, check battling crocodiles, yeah. check you know
0: Yeah, that's where what, that's what you want to be Let's
1: get a snake combat study going
0: <laughs> there's been enough of those have there. have <laughs> there. <laughs> Yes. Well, we'll do snake combat. We'll do an episode on it. So, uh, I had a question for you, Ben, actually. Okay, yeah. If you were to account for them, the weight, so every crocodile is the same weight, which of these crocodiles would win in a fight?
1: Um, Of these ones? Yeah. Of these ones, I think I'd still keep my money on salties Yeah? Yeah, because the snout shape and everything, they're, he- you know, they are heavy built even though they're just sort of built massive. I certainly wouldn't put it on fresh gary or anything like that.
0: No. Do you know who I think would win? I think the uh palpabrosis, the caiman. Oh, they
1: don't have to reach with the snout though. They gotta get in yeah. closer. The eyes are gonna be closer to being vulnerable.
0: Yeah, but they're sneaky, right? So they strike sideways. So they just <laughs> they come alongside. The other crocodiles aren't familiar with this behaviour. They're like, oh this this is chiller, he's not doing anything. You know, this is fine. <laughs> you know. But then all of a sudden, spam sideways strike, out of nowhere. Crocodile goes down, Salty's like, What? I go full funnel attack, I'm not familiar with this. <laughs> dead. Dead. Just dead
1: dead. Game over. Yeah. So if, if I were going for species outside of this, I'd be going for mugger. Well, yeah. Just because there's a little yeah. Bit, they're just brutes, there.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a skull of one of those in the Bangor Museum, and it is in... unbelievable. Yeah, it looks like it's made of cement. Yeah, probably is. It's so, th- like, it's just huge. It's almost as wide as it is long. Yeah. Just pure
1: brute strength.
0: Yeah, they're incredible. So, yeah, I think there you have it. Crocodile and crocodilian. Not crocodile, because they're not all crocodiles. Crocodilian babies and their habits.
1: Fighting, biting nature.
0: Yeah, they are. They're just bitey little bitey little creatures.
1: (laughs) They're so lovely.
0: Yeah, I do like crocodilians.
1: So then, are we on to... Yes. Is it time? For...
0: <laughs> Drum roll, please.
1: unpatented, patent-pending
0: <laughs>
1: species of the bi-week?
0: <laughs> I think it is. Uh, yeah. So, we elected to do something a little bit different this week, this bye week um, in that, as there are only 24 species of crocodile, and alligator, and caiman, and gharial, uh, there wasn't a new one that's been recently discovered because, you know, it's just, well, you know, it's just not happening. I was just calling so, some
1: taxonomic splitters and I feel sure they can rustle us up one.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm sure there's some people out there who've written something, but I mean, we, we couldn't we could find one anyway. We
1: could have picked a Nile crocodile and said that, picked one of the older papers that said the Malagasy ones are a separate species. Could have done
0: that. <laughs> what, well, and then just scoffed our, scoffed our way through it?
1: Well... I don't know. I don't think there's really been enough work to be... It, it seems pretty certain that they're just subspecies and no one's really worried about it because they're pretty similar.
0: <laughs> Fair. I, I don't know anything about it. It's just from the way you said it, it made it sound like they were wrong. But,
1: so... No, I think it's just people thinking one... wrong. I don't know if they're wrong. I don't know All the right, truth right, well,
0: here. I don't know either. I'm just hearing about it now. So, uh, this is Species of the Bi-Week and the paper today is Foffer, Young, Brousset, Graham... And Steel, 2017, brand new, a new metriorhynchid crocodilomorph from the Oxford Clay Formation, Middle Jurassic, of England, with implications for the origin and diversification of geosaurini from the Journal of Systematic Palaeontology. That was a mouthful. It
1: was. The whole thing's a mouthful.
0: Yeah, the whole paper's a mouthful. Seriously. There were sentences where eight of the ten words i had never seen before. Yeah. I don't know how, you know, we both listen to Tetsu, plug for Tetsu. If you don't listen to it, it's a really great podcast um, by Darren Nash and John Conway. And it's great. It's fantastic. It's all about extinct animals, mostly extinct animals. Sometimes they talk about non-extinct animals. There's a really good diatribe about sperm whales in there somewhere. But yeah, they do this really well. And what made me realize is that this the paleontological literature is really inaccessible compared to the zoological literature.
1: I mean, I don't. I I presume we presume it's that, but maybe we're just too deep into the ecology stuff to know. It, it's got to be harder. Who kidding? Yeah, or well, maybe be
0: harder. maybe we just picked a really hard one. I don't know. I've never read any others, so. I
1: mean, you can It'd see a that. crocodile and be like, "Yeah, it's a crocodile." I understand that.
0: Yeah, Can't go that's serious. true. <laughs> Mate, the photos in this Honestly, it was like, as you can clearly see from diagram one, this is the lower the lower jaw demonstrating, you know, xiphodont teeth. I was like, what am I looking at? What am I looking at? It literally looks like someone dropped some spaghetti on a rock and now Suddenly, it's uh, it's this extinct crocodile morph. I was like, "There's no way." I couldn't believe it. I didn't know what I I could make head or tail like of. It, to be croppy, honest, A burnt pancake. <laughs> yeah, literally, it looks like. Oh goodness! Essentially, what's happened here? This is like this is like being an expert on like the aerodynamism of German manufactured cars and doing all your research at a scrapyard which cubes cars. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah, man, the, 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 the work to
1: decipher what you're working with is just crazy.
0: Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Um, but yeah, we'll get into what the animal is and stuff. Um, hopefully Tetsu guys won't hear that we're doing this, otherwise we're going to have some Twitter beef. <laughs> <laughs> Stay in your lane! Stay in your lane! No, so yeah, we're talking about a crocodilomorph, which isn't necessarily a crocodile or even a crocodilian, they're just crocodile-shaped creatures. Um, Crocodilomorpha is a clade which includes modern crocodiles and alligators, and there also includes loads of extinct crocodile kind of creatures. Uh, there's a massive variation from ginormous ones that look like normal crocodiles, they're just giant crocodiles, basically, to some which look like whales, with kind of weird legs, but they're reptiles.
1: Yeah, they're, yeah suggesting they have like, weird stumpy legs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: So, yeah, yeah, it's weird. So basically all crocodiles are crocodilomorphs, but not all crocodilomorphs are crocodiles. Yes,
1: that sounds about right. Mm.
0: Yeah. And so the authors of this paper describe a new species from what is a really quite smashed up skull and a bit of the lower jaw, a portion of the lower jaw called the mandibular ramus, which apparently is sort of the back third of the jaw, but not the pointy bits, which are part of the joint. Um And some teeth. Yeah, and and a few teeth, yeah. Uh and these paleontologists like a challenge. This specimen had been in the Natural History Museum pretty much ignored since eighteen seventy five. Probably because it was completely and utterly <laughs> unintelligible.
1: Well someone was probably using it as a paperweight or something, aren't
0: they? <laughs> well, yeah, like a really hideous paperweight. I don't know why you'd want that on your desk. But they've in in what can only be described as a dramatic understatement they said it was a painstaking mechanical preparation hmm.
1: Ugh,
0: I, yeah. it. I mean it it looks hard it looks like a lot of effort so um basically yeah they managed to scrape away and you know reconstruct this the head of this beast and they called it ildran melkshamensis um which is a new genus and a new species um Ildran means older one because it came from old rock. Uh, the rocks where other closely related geosaurus species have been found are uh, more recently formed. And Melkshamensis, the specific name is from, it just means from Melksham, which is where this thing was found, which Wikipedia is, assures me is a historic market town in beautiful rural Wiltshire.
1: <laughs> oh yes, we all know it well.
0: Yeah, oh, Melksham, yes. Yeah. <laughs> guaranteed it's got a pub called the old bull <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah that or the red line
0: <laughs> yeah oh yeah definitely so uh yeah should i carry on talking about this beast or do you want to say some stuff
1: um i to be frank don't have all that much to say i mean a little bit okay. about the size we've got like a mandible that's a good 60 to of 60 to 65 centimeters long We've got, that's big it's pretty beefy isn't it we're talking about a big animal here we've got yeah. teeth that are like what three centimetres big which definitely <laughs> seem quite small uh, which when which, I'm talking about an which, animal that's 60 65 centimetres
0: so, well, Ben when you say something is three centimetres big which plane are we in are we talking about length or width or you know diameter what does that mean three centimetres big <laughs>
1: in uh, ap- oh. apico-basal length. <laughs> <laughs> Stop it with your science. What yeah. does that mean? Yeah, whatever. Um, yeah. Now, they didn't get any body, so it's just a head, just a disembodied head, and I think they're presuming that it did have a body, and <laughs> the assumption is, based on other stuff, <laughs> that perhaps it was around three metres in total body length. Judging uh, by other wasn't. things with similar, you know, morphology in heads, but that's pretty. I think that's that's considered pretty tentative because they don't have any any evidence that it even had a body.
0: No, no. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, they just surmised it had a body based on their experience with other animals, most of which have bodies. Have bodies.
1: <laughs> imagine yeah. if it didn't know. If imagine it was just a head that just sort of swims around, <laughs> consumes well, all it what, finds. You
0: means- you mean like a cephalopod?
1: I was more thinking one of the heads from Doom. But yeah.
0: <laughs> so this animal has very unusual teeth. They're laterally compressed, serrated and sharp. So this was a killer. Uh, a macrophagus monster. So you know we were talking about microphagy the other week. And macrophagus. Memechophagus, yes. yeah, nice. This is the opposite, it's macrophagus. It just eats stuff that's big. If it's not big, it doesn't want to know. I suppose unless um, the
1: termites were message, then it could be macro and memechophagus.
0: But, yeah. Well, you know, invertebrates were a lot bigger back in those days. <laughs> giant termites. <laughs> <laughs> so now I've got an
1: image of a disembodied sort of
0: crocodilomorph head oh.
1: eating giant termites.
0: <clears throat> we should have... Oh, man. We sh- you should... You should uh... You should um, draw that.
1: Yeah. That seems that like a valuable good. use of my time right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, I'm not interested in deadlines. Mate, <laughs> how on see? earth am I going to
1: draw a fucking morph Oh head? Uh, based on what?
0: This lump of rock? Um, based on the very, very easy to distinguish jaw and skull found in the rock in this paper bag.
1: It's like mashed potato. I can't draw a, a draw
0: like that. <laughs> also, did you know this is not... The, the the shape of the teeth is not a product of diagenesis, which I was relieved to hear, because that was my first thought when I saw that they said it was serrated. I was like, could that not be because of diagenesis? Um, but they assure me that, no, it's not diagenesis. It's, it, it's consistent across multiple teeth. So, uh, Phew. that was a close one. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Have you got anything else interesting to say about this cuz I feel like we need to wrap this up before we go fully off the rails.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. So, um they did a phylogenetic analysis which I was quite disappointed to read was based exclusively on morphological characters. Um because apparently unlike Jurassic Park, there's no DNA to be found. No DNA. Yeah, been lied to again. Um but yeah, the yeah the the really unusual teeth which i mentioned well, earlier yeah, you are quite couldn't significant get DNA
1: because there weren't what? any mosquitoes underwater
0: another common misconception <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah no there weren't but the teeth evolved multiple times basically the, the whole the one of the big things about this discovery is that it showed that rather than these serrated ridged killer teeth evolving um, just once and then being spread subsequently down, this paper showed that it has evolved multiple times um, in geosaurinae, which is the subfamily of meteororhynchid animals in which this one is found. So it's, it's a significant discovery.
1: Mm. And it's From quite cool I mean, for I mean, dietary pressure, presumably dietary pressure, pushing another crocodilomorph to seemingly sort of a convergent solution, right? I mean, we are just talking about yeah. exact... exact. What's
0: the word? Extent.
1: Extant. Uh, crocodiles having similar morphologies based on diet. And here we might have an example of it occurring multiple millions of years ago.
0: How many millions of years ago was it? A lot. Hmm. Middle Jurassic, what's yeah, what what
1: that? Like. Hundred
0: Oh, that's. Yeah, that's probably ages ago. That is. That's like. That's like dinosaurs' first evolving time. Middle.
1: I should really know this stuff, man.
0: I didn't. You know, Middle you... Jurassic. It's like two hundred and twenty, is it? I don't know. No, I haven't googled I, it yet.
1: I, I was. It's one hundred and seventy-four to one hundred and sixty-five million years ago.
0: Okay, so no, we weren't that far. Off.
1: Uh, you know, just fifty million years—that's enough time for gharials to evolve from their common ancestor with all other crocodilians. No, sorry, that was yeah. sixty-five. It was more the the uh, the alligators. Gharials would still be in the process.
0: <laughs> Right. Yeah. dinosaurs didn't come about first in Jurassic, did they? They just they just came they just kind of exploded.
1: I'm leaving this one
0: alone. Yeah, I don't know anything about it. So uh sorry Tetsu for making a hash of this and talking about extinct stuff. We're not gonna do it again ever because it's really hard. Well we might. Uh, There's
1: that really big I wanna talk about Titanobo or something.
0: Oh yeah. I think Titanoboa is within our remit though, because it's snakes. Yeah. But not uh, yeah, not this. This is this is this is just no. I don't know <laughs> what this was. We shouldn't have, we should never have done this. If we ever of us had actually taken the time to read read the paper before we agreed to do it on the show, we wouldn't have done it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we would have just done of done a frog.
0: Yeah, and that's not, you know, I'm not I'm not in any way criticising it. It seems like a really good thorough paper which found out something pretty damn cool, but I just don't understand it. Uh, oh, it's yeah. just dense when uh, you've got so much to read. Yeah, well I suppose in the, the thing is as well, if you were to read uh, Zootaxa and only read the description of the characters of the species, you'd have a really boring, hard time because you have to be thorough with that stuff. Yeah. It's the story that it's woven around it that makes it fun. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, they were very thorough to describe this species.
1: Yeah, and we're a sucker for pictures.
0: Yeah, well, the only pictures here just made me feel confused.
1: <laughs> so, are we are we all wrapped up with that? Yes. Okay, so talking about things to read, there was a paper that came out, was it yesterday or the day before, by Coolchamp uh, and Bradshaw called Hundred Articles Every Ecological Sign. Scient- 100 articles every ecologist should read in uh, I believe it was Nature and it seems to be doing the rounds on various things people go oh that's interesting Oh, oh that's not particularly representative or whatever but in terms of people looking for further reading oh boy it looks like it's a good resource to do some you know get some like base principles of ecology covered by classic case studies of it occurring and things along those lines so I would recommend people checking it out, just to just to see what sort of titles are on there and, and have a little sort of peruse and pick out things that may be of interest.
0: It's a nice little resource. Oh, yeah. I'm gonna have a flick through it. I've not seen that. Yeah, man, oh. it's
1: sort of depressing how few I have read. <laughs> Although, yeah, I think one of the things is because it's well, this questionnaire has been done on on people that. You, more senior scientists are probably read stuff that have cited a lot of those papers and have come up with new reviews and additional evidence now that will be taking their place in the future. Hmm. But uh, it's well worth a little look at.
0: Cool. So we don't don't have any more corrections, do we? We kind of went over them at the start.
1: No, I think they were the corrections. And I think we are
0: home free. Excellent. So... um... If anyone wants to get in touch with us, uh, we love getting emails, herphighlights at gmail.com. We're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash Highlights, and Twitter at Highlights.
1: Yes. I think
0: that's a um,
1: lot. Oh, and of course, the, yeah. f- the full show notes and everything along those lines are all accessible at herphighlights.podbean.com. Um because, hey, guess what? iTunes and other places cut the show notes in half and they're not particularly easy to read. So, yeah. what references, the YouTube video you were saying about whole shebang will be on the Hurt Pilots website.
0: Wicked. Okay, excellent. Well, thank you very much for listening and we uh, hope you will listen again on episode 15.
1: Excellent. Thanks for listening, guys. <laughs>